Live from Thra, this is Derail Trains of Thought. Folks, welcome to Dural Trains of Thoughts. Hi, this is a. I feel like there's lots of things alive around me. I mean, like obviously there's trees and things, but like I'm a little afraid of who else might be listening to us today. Yeah, I feel like everything and anything might be. Yeah, there's. Just, I see kind of eyes. I hear some. And over there, there's kind of moving ground. With, I don't like miles or something. I'm not going to go walk that. Ground. Yeah, don't don't go walking over there. I think yeah. that'd be a bad idea. But anyway, welcome, folks. This is our uh, this is your premier podcast on storytelling. Derailed trains of thought. I am Nick Hayden, and I am Timothy Deal. We are your hosts as we explore the world of story, wherever the podcast may decide to take us to uh, explore it. Which is Thra this time. Which is Thra this time, and uh, hopefully we will keep you in thrall. Rumpumch. Fun times, everyone. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Nick? Not too bad. It's cold, suddenly cold and dark. Back home. Yeah. Yeah. Indiana, sadly, only gets like one month of fall. So this is kind of nice. It means at least it's a lot brighter and... Well, stuff. at least right now, anyway. Yes, right now. I mean, there's that beautiful pink tree over there. It's it's interesting. I, I, it's much more colorful than... Now, when I back home, I when I go home from work, it's like dark almost because... Winter. It's winter. Yeah. Winter is coming. Winter is here. No. <laughs> wait, wait. Wrong wrong fantasy series. Yes. Anyway, so we'll stop yakking now and we'll get on. Get on. <laughs> get on. <laughs> get on with it, buddy. Anyway, let's uh, move along now into story school. <laughs> move along. Shut up. <laughs> For Story School today, uh, we got inspired by Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, which we're going to do, a, I promise, we're going to do a weekly hijack yeah. soon, if it isn't out already, but before this comes out. Dark Crystal Age of Ultron. <laughs> be interesting. It would be different. Um, bunch of Yeah, a bunch of puppets fighting a bunch of robots. I'd watch it. I'd watch it too, just to see how they would pull it off. Yeah. Anyways, completely sidetracked. Yes, not a, not at all what we're actually going to talk about today. Today, this was your idea. It's kind of talking about the range of emotions that can be present in a story. Especially in one story. Most stories have just a normal amount of emotion, you know, like, oh, it's just a normal day sort of stuff. I guess let's start with the, the other side real quick. Okay. Start with, there are some stories that are, are very laser focused on developing one emotion. You got your Hitchcock film, which is very like everything's designed for one emotion. Mm -hmm. So obviously when we're talking about a range of emotions, some people choose, hey, I'm horror does this. Like, I just want to freak you out constantly. Some comedies are like, I'm going to do as many ridiculous belly laughs and we're not going to take anything seriously. Film noir is like grim and gritty and darks and shadows and yeah. So th that's just kind of a starting point. And then, the, and then you have most of your shows that are just like a nice palette. And then you have some things that have this very wide range, more than even your normal, like, oh, it's sad and it's happy. You know, you got your dramas on TV where it's like, oh, it's 
sad and it's happy and there's a normal range but like they they push the the sort of the dark edges and the the good light edges both convincingly we'll just use dark crystal as an example in this case there's one episode six seven um i no i don't know okay. I, I don't know the, the season verbatim yet but anyways where on one hand there's this ridiculous scene with this good skexies and this puppet show and like some of the funny stuff we've seen all yeah, season. Some of the funny stuff, yeah. Hop is throwing up, and <laughs> I mean, they're doing this the ridiculous opera thing. I mean, it's, it's like it's like crazy, like almost something you could. It's the closest I've ever seen Dark Crystal come to Fraggle Rock. Yeah, exactly. At least in terms of humor, there's some of the like wishy washy spirituality of Fraggle Rock. It's in the Dark Crystal too, yeah. but that's a little different. But on the other hand, in the same episode, you have basically spiders possessing people. Like, it ends with, like, this horror scene of all these people walking around, these spiders, and there's things on their faces, like, from some science. And aren't their eyes glowing? And, and eyes glow. Yeah, and and it was, to me, a really interesting portrayal of the, of the wide range of certain types of shows and books. And I, I think creators can just capture both kind of the, the deepest horrors of people and, like, the fancies of people. I think Roald Dahl, Charlie Chocolate Factory, James the Giant Peach does this really well, the sense that, like, read the books, like, sometimes, like, oh, it's fanciful as a chocolate factory and all the crews, and then, like, some really messed up stuff, you know, mm. dark. Even in the movie version, you got, uh, with Gene Wilder, you got that weird tunnel scene right <laughs> after you have the, like, yeah the scene singing about the chocolate factory and everything. I mean, it's, I think it's the sense of the kind of a primal, almost childlike ability to tap into emotion. Hmm. Do you think it's something that really has to come out in a fantas- fantastical sort of work? I guess that's why I know. See, normally, but I guess it's is where you have works where it, it strips away some of the normal normalcy of certain emotions. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like I get it at least more from another person does it, and I guess this would be less fantastical. Somewhat Dickens. Okay, Dickens would do a very wide range, like Christmas Carol. He got some pretty dark. You know, he's a Gringy. And then yeah. you have these these scenes with the Cratchit family. It's like our friend Greg calls almost too sweet. Like like they're just Yeah. Picture perfect kind of like heartwarming. But like it's like Norman Rockwell, but like worse. <laughs> or better or whatever. Or, yeah. Right. Or better. And I think there's a, an ability of some creators to really tap into the things that to like lean completely into a single emotion. But be able to also move back and forth in a way that doesn't feel like whiplash. Mm. Don Bluth movies are also kind of like that. You know, like An American Tale. Mm. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I, you know, The Land Before Time, Secret of Nim. I mean, he was an animator that went into some dark territory, but also had some very light, cartoonish kind of moments. And they, yeah, and they kind of like kind of weave in and out of that kind of stuff. And, and I think sometimes in the visual mediums, animation works really well for this. Animation is already a little more primal. Mm. than something a little more realistic. And especially if you watch it as kids, you're just like, a lot of pe- kids' worst nightmares are like from early Disney movies. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The elephants on the parade, you know, that sort mm. of. Yeah. Some of those inhibitions from you get in realistic dramas are gone, and they just push it a little farther. Yeah, I wonder if that's because it's something that's more abstract, and so you get to pour a lot more artistry into it that really taps into that like yeah because there's something about cartoons that just like really taps if it's done well yeah 
like, you know, my, I, I don't remember if I've ever mentioned this before or not. Maybe I have. One of my grandfathers, who was a real kind of military gruff guy, he, whenever we would watch, there'd be certain cartoons if we'd be watching, he'd join us, like Looney Tunes yeah. or, uh, I still remember him laughing at when this is an animation, but uh, certain parts of Muppet Christmas Carol, yeah. and, you know, he just, that kind of like universalism, even though, you know, we didn't really have a lot in common, but, you know, we could enjoy a good cartoon or, or a great, uh, you know, Gonzo falling yeah. off a, a building scene. <laughs> and I think having a, and again, I don't think every every story needs this giant range of motion. Sometimes it's really good to have, a, to really narrow it down. And a lot of times you will just do whatever, but I think as a storyteller, how do you tap into those, you know, how do you make horror more horrifying or happiness how do you make the audience, the reader, feel those things as deeply as some of these guys who are very good at doing the range do? Hmm. I have some possible answers, but I think that's something interesting as a creator to say, hey, how do we make them feel that deeply and, and do it in a way that's not... Because a lot of times you have these movies, like, you'll be a comedy and you'll have your, your token, like, serious scene. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, whatever. You know, you don't really feel it because you know it's there just for the plot or you have a serious movie you have you know you'll have hamlet and then you'll have talking to skull and you're laughing because you need a break yeah but this sort of range in one thing is a different beast it's like we can actually exist in the full palette of human motions in one thing i think earnestness is an important ingredient here if your audience knows that you as a the storyteller are really truly meaning this world mm-hmm. that you're developing. It's not just kind of the cynical, like, ah, we're just here to have fun kind of thing. But like, no, the the there's actual significance to the story elements as they go on. And I think I would say Dickens, his his ability is because he's just super earnest. Mm. Like when you read Christmas Carol, you you feel like Dickens fully feels everything he's writing. No, I don't know if he is, but you get the sense that he is he's the guy who absorbs characters and he can laugh with the people who are laughing and he can cry with the people who are crying just because he writes that way. And I don't know if he is. I don't know enough about his life, but he writes with that sort of verve, yeah. I guess. Like he has that same sort of excitement as the writer, as the mm-hmm. reader is going to have reading it. Yeah, so exactly. There, and his, his language is set up that way. Yeah. There's kind of a shared excitement between the storyteller and the audience. And I wonder if that's some of it too. Even, I mean, with animation, with puppetry, there is that more of that like less space between... The audience, maybe because it's a little more abstract. Possibly, I mean, I think I think there is definitely an element to both those where the storyteller is creating everything that you see on stage, which yeah. I guess is true, or on screen, which I guess is true for general live action movies too. But I don't know. I, I wonder if there's a difference there in terms of like the depth that they are naturally putting onto the screen. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, and you know, anime does this all the time. They'll have like the deep dark scenes and then like some ridiculous <laughs> yeah, like love and peace. Well, and after you, know, you just like killed your friends or whatever. <laughs> yeah, they well, yeah, some animes will kind of it's almost like and this bi- some, bipolar. Sometimes they can get a little bipolar and you know, I think to do it well, you have to make it both feel like, neither thing's an interlude. Yeah. Neither thing's an excuse. And sometimes anime, it feels not quite as smooth. Although, I tell you, though, if if you do it right, you can you can wind up talking about emotional range. You can have 
your audience feeling a lot of emotions within the, within the space of a single scene. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're talking about anime, let me talk a little bit about My Hero Academia. And okay. I, I'm, I'm going to spoil a scene from like mm, late season two. So if maybe skip ahead like two minutes if you don't want to hear it. But so, okay, the main character is mentored by this guy called All Might. Okay. Um, and My Hero Academia is a, is a series about basically superhero high school. And it's very fun. And one of the great things about the main character is that he's very earnest and he's taught by a mentor named All Might, who is also very earnest. He's kind of like a Superman sort of type. All his attacks come with a state name like Missouri Smash. <laughs> <And> things, <laughs> nice. I'll be able to say that in like, you know, broken English because yeah. Japanese think English sounds cool. Um, <laughs> But the thing about All Might is that he's he's given his people, the main character, some of his power, in part because he's losing his own ability to control his superpower. Okay. And there's this final climatic fight when All Might fights with his arch rival. And his arch rival can tell that he's losing a hold of his power because he's not as good as he used to be. At some point, All Might kind of channels the last of it into one final attack. And the villain can see, oh, man, I'm not going to survive this. This is the end of my superpower. And this is like All Might's basically putting this is his last attack of yeah. all his power into his. And he yells as he does it. You know, you can imagine like the kind of the anime like fast moves and yeah. quick camera shots and stuff. And he, when he connects, he's yelling, United States of Smash! <laughs> And when he when he connects, there's like this big like basically the the force of his hit creates yeah. like hurricanes type winds, <laughs> and then you see like the flame that had re- been representing his power just kind of goes out, and he says goodbye, one for all. That's the name of his power, and so you get the like this thrill of like a super cool fight scene, the humor of what the ridiculous attack name he, yeah. just, he just yelled out, and like this little bitter bittersweet sadness and like yeah. he just sacrificed his basically superpower to defeat the bad guy once and for all. So you got like three emotions and again it's silly and you know it's in, in really it's silly but because they're so earnest with all these other factors going mm. into the scene yeah. you get to experience the full gambit of emotions there. And one of the trick to making you know to communicating emotion earnestly is to as a writer, as creator, to get to the kernel of it. I mean, like, horror writers are very good at figuring out what really freaks them out, uh-huh. <laughs> you know? And, you know, comedy writers get to the heart of what, the heart of the joke. But to have a writer who can get to the heart of what freaks you out and the heart of what is the goodness of family and the heart of... Or the what what it means to be a hero. Or... And, and, a, and a writer who can get to multiple centers in one work, I think is... Is cool. I'm not sure. Again, not everything requires that, but I think you know that, it, it's that an earnest, impressive. It's an impressive feat to be able to, yeah. Whether over the course of a story to like really hone in on on the center of who this character is and who that character is, and then maybe bring them all together at one moment, and, and being able to yeah, being able to feel it yourself and not just oh, this has to happen next. Mm. Yeah, I think that what ruins it for people is when it's like oh, I know this is connect the dot. You know, this is. This is the this scene. We, this, we, this this is the sad scene. This is the happy scene. This is the re- again. Those still carry emotion mm-hmm. because it just does. Because people reuniting are just good, or people losing something are just bad, or what you know. It just we empathize, but to to you know to crank it up a notch and strip other things away to get to, into the middle of it. And the, you know these are the things that as an audience sometimes arrange if it touches the center of your emotion. It'll make people cry about things that other people are like, why? Why is that sad? You know, mm. 
they're seeing in that the core of what they're already feeling. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's connecting to something that they know about in real life, or and feel have felt or do, currently are feeling deeply about. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, I, I'll take my. You know, my. I don't really cry much at movies, but like the almost crying at the end of Les Mis, and it was the movie, and it was largely, I think, partly just being a dad at that point, mm. because Jean Valjean's. I mean, there's certain things that once you've experienced, I think, then you react differently to. Mm-hmm. And so maybe these writers are very good at it, have experienced a lot of things and, and are not afraid to bear them openly. I don't know. I'm no, guessing. I, I mean, I, th- I think that makes sense. I don't know what to follow that up with yeah. exactly. No. <laughs> No, talking about like how a moment can be kind of comedic in one sense, but also serious in another yeah. sense. I imagine a challenge there is to, with comedy particularly, comedy is naturally helping people see the something amusing of the situation, yeah. which the characters themselves may not be quite as aware of. Yeah. Um, like you have a, a scene where characters are fighting and the, the characters might be really mad, but it might actually be really funny for an audience perspective. Yeah. <laughs> But then if you can, like, okay, I was thinking about this the other day because I knew we were talking about this, and I was listening to my podcast, Moving Right Along, which is going currently going oh. through the Great Muppet Caper. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where Kermit and Piggy fight, and it's it's really funny. They got, they got a really cute couple, you know, how Kermit yeah. and Piggy are, and that couple. And then, but at one moment, Piggy, like, turns her back to the camera, and you can tell she's actually kind of hurt. Yeah. So it goes from this, like, the audience perspective is like, oh, this is fun, to, like, Oh, poor thing. <laughs> and yeah. Then, like, okay, calm down. Current lets lets her know. Okay, I'm I'm sorry. We went too far. And then, you know, they make up. So again, you've got a, a spectrum of emotions for the audience in a short scene, but you know when to turn the corner from yeah. humorous to more heartfelt. You know that makes me think, and just other things I think you're saying that is that it seems like modern. Again, there'll be more visual, but even probably books are much better at being real, helping you feel the punch of sad things of broken things then like what dickens does is amazing is like he does have that saccharine sweet scenes which comes off to some modern eyes sometimes as being kind of hokey or kind of too good it's hard and we're not very good at communicating good i don't think mm. yeah not nearly as well whimsy sometimes but not, even whimsy tends to be a little more scientific nowadays yeah and and yeah that's probably true I mean, it's a little easier to communicate it like at the beginning or the end of something. Yeah. As opposed to like kind of a, a break in the middle of a story to appreciate something good. And yeah. Because like Miyazaki is very good at creating, of helping you fully feel small moments. Mm. Like the goodness of sitting down and eating. Yeah. Things that we take for granted. And that, that takes a certain skill to make you thankful for things that are normal yeah and and he can include those kind of moments of what what was the word you used normalcy yeah yeah normalcy normalcy however you say it i don't know (laughs) in in stories that are otherwise big and adventuresome and fantastical and which i guess is not quite the same thing well i mean i guess is it an emotion just to enjoy the the of the quiet moments i guess it kind of is yeah i think i think that's still a range of emotion both for the big heartfelt ones and the quiet ones Mm mm-hmm and again, you feel like Miyazaki understands those things. You feel like he appreciates them so he can communicate. I don't know that you can communicate something 
You can fake a communication of things through copying. Mm, copying, yeah. Other people, like the, you know, the beats. I'm not sure you can fake, emo- fake these things that you don't, haven't actually felt mm. in the same way. Maybe you can. That makes sense. I mean, it's, it's a kind of emotional intelligence. I mean, I can vouch being currently in <clears throat> a dating relationship. Mm-hmm. There are definitely elements of romance that I think I probably understand way better now than I ever did mm-hmm. from the outside of it. Yeah. And obviously, I have a lot to learn, don't get me wrong. But yeah, being inside of that sort of emotions, circumstances is, yeah, way different than just repeating something you've seen in other movies. Yeah. And again, repeating things you've seen in other movies or kind of the, the outside version can still communicate just fine. But there's a there's certain, you know, scenes of sorrow that I feel like when and Wright are just trying mm. because I haven't. You haven't I haven't suffered the of... death of someone super close to me, sort of thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. And other people have, you know, they, they, you know, I can probably write it maybe realistically, but it might not be raw. Mm. That's true. I remember talking back in college with some friends when we were watching Naruto. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a series with it's an anime with ninja and like crazy superhuman kind of abilities. You know, people get thrown against walls and you know all, all this kind of like kind of fake pain. But then there's I remember one particular battle sequence where there one of the characters was fighting the sound ninja, and okay. w- at one point basically gives them essentially what what looked like a really piercing earache okay and we all like agreed like that looked way more painful than some of these other like (laughs) crazy things like getting you know zapped by lightning or Mm -hmm. getting buffeted by like wind power or something because we know what an earache feels like yeah so to be able to like purposely inflict something like that everyone who watched this scene just like oh yeah exactly so yeah there's there's distinct difference between knowing what something is like and kind of given an approximation of it. Well, like in horror, like, yeah, anyone can make some disgusting uh, creature that kills things in violent ways, but to really get under people's skins, you do something, you know... Just subtly creepy. Just just subtly creepy that everyone's creeped out about, you know, whether it's just, like, the shadow that flits by. I, I can't think of one. I mean, Doctor Who actually has done this pretty well in various ways. The idea of, like, uh, there's some... The, the silence, the, the, the monsters that... You, you don't rem- see. You can't see. You don't remember as soon as you turn your eyes away from. Because it's the not knowing that's scarier than the anything else. Yeah. Or the, I used to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Doctor Who can do a pretty good range sometimes. Between they, they can. Like, like legitimate whimsy and, and whatever with... You know, kind of brooding or well, well, blink, sorrow. blink has like there. It's got like, like these sorrowful moments to like really scary moments to really like goofy, funny moments. Kind and, it, of and, it, and it all flows, and partly just because who had created the sense that you can get away with all that in an episode. Mm-hmm. But the best Doctor Who episodes have quite the range sometimes. I mean, obviously, you give a whole series, you can do a whole, you know, yeah, the, you know, yeah. oh yeah, Battle Five has a large range, and it does, but but that's a to whole find, series. find a whole one episode that can do the ups and downs, mm-hmm. and some of those, and when you do it, sometimes there's like the best episode everyone remembers because it got me right there, and it was hilarious, yeah, <laughs> or it was it was really exciting, but then I also made me laugh, and yeah, yeah, and again, I think you know, obviously, even emotionally, like horror laughing those things but like the quiet moments the the sort of familial moments are sometimes even harder because they're even more insubstantial they're they don't shout as loud Mm, that's a good way to say it 
And to make people, you know, to have that range where you even make people, you know, do some of that, like the uneasiness, the awkward. You, you know, have you ever been something that made you feel awkward? Mm. Yeah. There true. are, but it's not, you don't see it a lot. You see people being awkward. Mm, yeah, okay. I was going to say, you mean like office humor kind of level awkward? Uh, okay, season one made me feel awkward. <laughs> I mean, after that, it was they were just awkward and it was funny. But like, there are some seasons where, just, like, I think early episodes were just like, uh, I feel awkward even watching this. <laughs> Anyways, I, it was just a to- topic, having watched Dark Crystal, I'm like, really impressed how f- wide it is. And I know lots of shows can do that. It just struck me as even just a little push a little farther than you do see in some shows and i was curious of analyzing how do you do that yeah and yeah i, th- I think you tapped into a couple of things the the earnestness is important mm-hmm. the having experience in what a, the real emotion is makes a huge difference and being able to write it real not using the conventions the conventions that you've or, seen or, somewhere else or you can start with conventions but i think conventions can only get you so far even if it has to transcend it somehow yeah yeah to, in a deeper level. And I do think there's a certain childlikeness that helps. A sort of like, I joke sometimes, like, you know, kid, kids will cry. They don't get something. They'll just break down crying. And adults don't. People have trained themselves not to. Mm. But they're crying on the inside. They just find a different way to deal with it. I mean, adults are don't wear their emotion on the sleeve in the same way little kids do. Right. And I think there's a certain amount of little kidness that helps if you and that's why i think animation does it but you know you kind of tap into those more and i wonder primal stuff that kind of makes me think that in a way storytelling can really be a great outlet for adults who Mm -hmm. who need to kind of remember what that emotion is because yeah yeah, as we go through our day-to-day like grind like we can try to bury it and numb it a lot and it's, it's very beneficial for the reader too to be able to experience emotions through books through movies Hmm. to kind of Either just enliven their life or even maybe process things. Yeah. And they always say that, I mean, the study's been done that readers are much are more empathetic than non-readers. Mm. They've learned to empathize with... You've been in someone else's head. You've been in someone else's head. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes a good story can help us remember something that we knew mm-hmm. emotionally on a deep level that we haven't connected with in a, a long, long time. time. Yeah. But. There's a lot of power emotionally with stories. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Really good stuff. So with that, we will move on into soundtrack. It took me a while to figure out what to go with here because there's actually some songs on OC Remix that have a broad range. Like, it makes that you had the similar problem where you couldn't find something that had a range but was short enough. Short enough for the podcast. Yeah. Like, give me eight minutes, I gotcha. Yeah, so I wound up just going a completely different route. This remix is from The Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening. Second nice. uh, Zelda song in a row, remix in a row, so that's unusual. Is this from the new album? No. Okay. No, this is this is an older one from 2005. The remix is called Clash at the Mountains. It's a remix from a song on the original soundtrack, Tal Tal Heights. Okay. I just went with it because mountains, mountains are a range. Fun times. Fun times. (laughs) This one is uh, by Zircon and it's a fun techno-y Zircon kind of beat. Awesome. Hope you enjoy.
And we're back. Hello, that was nice. Yeah. And for all you who are doing um, Derailed Trains bingo, make sure you mark pun times twice this episode. Oh? Yeah. Oh, because we had some puns. Yeah, it's for our bingo or drinking game, I guess. (laughs) Root beer only. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Well, anyway, moving on. Our next segment today will be... Previously on... Previously on is a segment where we talk about things, revisit old subjects from past story schools, and try to throw some new lights, look at it in a new way, but just kind of a brief touch on something. It was, didn't justify doing a whole new story school And it. And it's, as Tim can testify, I've been like having all kind of random ideas like, did we talk about this angle? Because it's been a lot of episodes now. Yeah. So our previously ons are like... I think this is new. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe? We'll, we'll try. And <laughs> but this one is. So you want to do yours first or me? Uh, you do yours first. All right. So I was going back to, we talked about uh, shared stories back in episode 72. 72. And I was just thinking about oral storytelling. I'm sure we touched on it back then. By shared stories, we mean shared experience. Yes. Like, you're all watching the movie together. You're sitting around the fa- fa- family watching, or sitting around the family. <laughs> sitting around the family. <laughs> the family sitting around the TV enjoying watching the Watching Christmas movie. special in that case. Be a thing of the Christmas episode. Probably. Probably. Or going to the, you know, going to the movie and enjoying it. Mm-hmm. The, the theatrical experience means a lot. You're all reading a book together. Mm-hmm. Unremarkable Squire. Which, yeah, this is something that me and, uh, me and Janelle have been doing. It's It's been fun coming up with all the voices, which I, I hear our friend David is also really good at doing some of the voices yeah, for Unremarkable Squire. Yeah, I hear his, his boozle and snivel wit are, are legendary, is why he, <laughs> I've not heard them, but... I mean, you have a lot of very colorful characters, so yeah. it, it, it's a fun book to read out loud, for sure. But anyway, I stumbled across this article talking about an essay by Ursula Le Guin about communication. So you found an article talking about the essay by Ursula Yes, it's kind of weird. But it quotes the essay substantially, so I'm like, I'm just going to act like this by Ursula Le Guin. Okay. And I liked it because it kind of put a almost spiritual sense to communication, which I, I thought resonated at least with me in, in a Christian worldview, and added something extra to shared stories. Okay. So I might just quote a few things here. She Because she makes the point that talking to each other is not just, I talk, you listen, you talk, I listen. But there's every time I'm talking, we're both sharing simultaneously. I'm having flashbacks to my communication theory classes, which I hated at the time, but like it comes up in my, to my mind more often than I ever expected. <laughs> so she called it inner subjectivity. But there's a couple cool quotes in here that I kind of wanted to share um, and kind of just talk about. And I like this. So speech connects us so immediately and vitally because it is a physical bodily process to begin with. Not a mental one or a spiritual one, wherever it may end. And I've been thinking about this because I'm teaching this Bible study on Christians and social media. And going into it, I was thinking largely the danger of social media is that it's not we are embodied people. We are meant to be in a space and a time. Mm, okay. We are meant to be physical. You know, we're not Gnostics. We don't think physicality is bad. Sure, yeah. And the fact that even, you know, Ursula Gwen, who's not Christian, you know, there's, there's this physicality of speaking to each other that's more than just machines giving back and forth. Passing it, information. Passing, it's more than information. Okay. Um, and it just, just added kind of another level to reading out loud to your kid, in which is say, you know, reading out loud to your kids before they're five, just like does wonders on like every known scale. And really? All that. So, yeah. Reading to your kids is one of the, I might get this wrong, but I think is one of the primary correlations with doing well in school. 
Hmm. Like the more words they hear before they're five, the better. Okay. I love if you have books around and read to them, they learn to love books. Not just talking to them, but actually reading. Yeah. I mean, obviously talking to them, more words you talk to them, the better. Okay. Too. Yeah. But reading to them does a whole nother level of things, which is also just fascinating because our brains are wired for words and for books hmm. in a way that I don't think evolutionists have figured out how to explain. <laughs> um, because like two-year-olds learn language like nothing. Yeah. And we can... Anyways, that's neither here nor there. But they, she also makes this point that a lot of things in nature oscillate together. Okay, this is going to sound weird, but like you put two clocks next to each other and the pendulums will start going together. They'll start syncing up. Syncing up. That, anyway, she talks about humans start syncing up talking to each other. It's, again, kind of timey-wimey. But I thought it was an interesting sort of how words change each other. And again, I just like it because we believe God talking changes things. We do believe there is a power to words spoken, not just thought. Thoughts mm. are not enough. You know, it's got to be... God said God, that there God be God said that there's yeah. there's a physicality to... Okay, no, God, you can get heretical, say physicality. But, but you know, Jesus was the word. You know, there's a sense that things need to be... Embodied. Embodied. And that you, you start putting that with, even in text in a book, but also just... Tell them, make them stories with their kids that, you know, having conversations. There's something you lose if everything's only through machines. Hmm. That's just not really an answer. Just some thoughts that I thought were interesting and added to that sort of sense of, I think you could go with a whole Christian theology of, obviously, words and talking. And I think we've mentioned the book by, what, Vern Poy Thresh one time about. You sure you got that name right? Not sure, but it's something like Poy Thresh. Poi thresh, something okay. like that. Close. It's Vern. Um, Vern. Vern. Question about yeah. that then. You make a good point that it's something more than just passing on information mm-hmm. through a tool. Do you think then that there's a difference between just reading a book out loud? Because if you're reading a book out loud, there's a tool there, technically. Yeah. As opposed to just the oral storytelling that's just purely... Mm, not necessarily improvisational, but purely, you know what I mean? The oral tradition. Yeah. Kind of. Before I answer that, you remind me of something, and I'll try to answer. So apparently, I, I read this somewhere, that some early church father saw another guy reading the Bible silent to himself, and he was kind of scandalized because the Bible was always read out loud in community. Mm. And I thought that was a fascinating concept, because we all Bible study now is silent, silent, mostly unless, yourself, unless you're in a small group or that yeah. sort of thing. And but, I think yeah. have we lost something by not just reading out loud in large sections? I mean, all the epistles were just letters. Read this in the church and share it with the other church. Hmm. Well, because back then, you know, not everyone had there wasn't a printing press, so I, you had to it had to be a communal thing. Yeah, and and I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the studying it. But yeah, I think that's certainly part of why it's written down. Yeah. I mean, but to your question, which I've half forgotten now, um, there probably is a difference. And I don't, probably in degrees or what the purpose is. Obviously, when something's put down solidly, there's less of a interaction mm-hmm. between audience and whatever. But you're still hoping for some sort of interaction, even when it's written. But obviously, an oral storyteller can play like a play, like, like actors. Yeah. Can tone things just tweak things make it make it fresh in the moment it's more musical yeah maybe yeah and i highly suspect most oral storytellers would write it down before they memorize their story and then and then yeah be able to perform it 
I mean, I guess if your voice is an instrument, most musicians nowadays, they, you know, they're going to put it down. They're not just always going to constantly improvise. You know, they would at least put down the different chords if they're a guitarist. Yeah. At least when they're first learning the song. I'm sure at some point they have to write the thing down. But there's a communal, like, to jump over into music, you know, there's a communal nature to singing in church. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, some churches have, like, is much more focused on the stage. Yeah. But... There's a whole debate, you know, about trying to make sure the congregation is singing because then it's everyone together as opposed to a performance as mentality. performance. And so you yeah. have this this range of how words interact with how the listener and the spectator work together, or the mm. the creator and the spectator work together. Yeah, yeah. So again, not so much answers, just thoughts and meanderings. Meanderings <laughs> that I thought were didn't fit anywhere exactly, but relate to that shared experience. And I think, you know, Audible is creating a whole nother generation that's more audio. That's true. In their interaction. I mean, it's not quite the same as being present, but it's... Well, and podcasting is mm-hmm. is a form of storytelling that's exploding in, in recent years. And is, is, I mean, Zach and I share a lot of stories that are podcasts that we don't, we don't read the same things, but we'll get together. Hey, did you hear, you know, Roman Mars talk about picking peppers uh-huh. um, or whatever? Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Well, my, as usual, my idea wasn't as deep. (laughs) Uh, But back in episode 56, we talked about taste. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, everyone has different tastes. And, you know, but the sliver of thought that I thought might be uh, fun to go back to that was, why do people enjoy cheese? Not just like, you know, actual like sharper mozzarella gouda. um, But like Venezuelan goat cheese. Exactly. Yes. Sorry, so we don't have that cheese here. Uh, do you have any cheese at all? Um, no, we do not. <laughs> no money python there now. Um, but no, cheesy stories, cheesy entertainment. Yeah. Why do people actually enjoy it? There's, and what, when I say that, I mean that in a little different way than not just like highbrow, lowbrow, high culture, pop culture. No, are you talking like Hallmark sort of cheese? I mean, as one example. Hallmark, that's a, that's one example. You know, we're almost into the Christmas movie season and Hallmark is known for having like a plethora of cheesy Christmas yeah, movies. But I mean, also, this would also include like something you'd see on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Okay. Like a super cheesy, like, um, I'm trying to think of one of my favorites. Oh, Cave Dwellers. <laughs> Ator, you know, it, it really over the top, like cheesy. So kind, kind of, of guilty pleasure. People, what people call guilty pleasure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, it, they, it, they don't overlap exactly. The term is yeah, some of a misnomer, but yes, movies, TV. I guess even some people would say book like romance books. Yeah. Some people call those cheesy, but people enjoy that. So I guess my question you is, you know, paint by the number fantasy novels. Yeah, or but 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 why do people enjoy it? I mean, there's a couple ways you could look at this. I guess the cynical way would be to say that it's just relaxing. You turn your brain off. You don't have to indulge. Yeah, but I don't, that's not my first thought. Okay, that's good. So what is your first thought? Comfort. I really, I mean, I really think it's like, like an old blanket. Mm. Like, you know, mm. Linus in his blankie. It's like, yeah, you don't have to think very much. I mean, that's certainly probably part of it, that it's safe. Yeah. But I think also it's like, it's just sort of like, Chocolate or popcorn or, again, we talk about popcorn flicks too, which is a little different. But I think it's just like, you know it's cheesy, you know it's overdone, you know it's there just for the, these certain highlights, but you really just want those certain highlights. And you, yeah. don't, you don't want art, you just want 
something fun, something so, to remind you those things that why you watch this sort of things anyway. It's something relaxing in a sense. Like, I mean, we we want obviously even popcorn to like be kind of challenging moving forward, yeah. but. You're not every day going to be in the mood for an Avengers Endgame where you have big stakes and like and all the special effects are actually really impressive. Sometimes you just, yeah, you just want to slip into something that you know is not going to be challenging in any kind of way, but is still kind of goofy and well, enjoyable. What about, and I think there's something to be said for just the playfulness of it. Hmm. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong to just play around. Mm-hmm. In, in a, Again, this is in a different sense, but... In the sense that, like, you're just tinkering. I mean, I mean, passively. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, be... oh, like, like bad movies. You you know it's not good. You know it's ridiculous. And again, some people watch them because they want to be cynical and make fun of them. But sometimes it's just like, you know what? I like the crazy things. I like the you know the over the top, the bad. It's just sort of like I'm not going to take it seriously. I'm just going to fiddle around. And sometimes we see even. I mean. It's fun to see the the like the amateur ones, the ones that are yeah, the ones that are just kind of playing. They're not super great film, but it's also sometimes to see like professionals do it. Like see the Expendables, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like, Expendables like, is a blast. That's that's a high budget. You know, you got Arnold Schwarzenegger and and uh, Bruce Willis doing cameos and headed by uh, Sylvester Stallone and Chuck Norris makes an appearance yeah. and it's super, but it's so so cheesy action popcorny kind of stuff. But it, and this whole purpose is not to. It's just it's it's a blanket. It's a nice you know. It's just a warm fuzzy feeling. It's it's exactly. a, it's that path wrapped in up the, in an explosion. It's, a, it's <laughs> that path in the woods you take every. There's nothing new, but it's familiar. Uh huh. And, uh-huh. and that would be my my you know my good take on it is that I mean yeah if that's all you do you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe arguments that that's all it is. Yeah, maybe, it, whatever. Well, if that's all that you're, if that's all the art that you're taking in, then yeah, you're probably. I mean, that's. I mean, if you eat too much cheese, you're going to become kind of <laughs> fat and gross. And uh. yeah, but and again, and we're not saying oh, go watch something literary necessarily. We'll, well have not that discussion no, later. But. but but I mean, like even your popcorn entertainment should have a balance. Yes. Like I mean, that's one that, like I said, you want to see even superhero flicks take on challenging subject yeah. matter and, and try to do new things and stuff like that. But then, but there's nothing wrong within moderation of just the... And it seems wrong, like, if you can't have fun watching or reading something, sometimes just my semi-mindless fun is our only for education. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> my dad's favorite movie is this ridiculous Dwayne Johnson, uh, The you, Rock movie. The great thing about The Rock it's called that, a, it's called a rundown, and like my family constantly makes fun of it every time because it's like this. My sister's called the the male equivalent of a chick flick, <laughs> a man bam. Yeah, because it's it's two guys, goofy male humor yeah. mixed in with like taking it down a like drug cartel or something. It, <laughs> I think I've seen. Are they chefs or something? No, not chefs. No, uh, no maybe I've not seen this one. It's in the it's in like. South I America I, I or something. I think I've seen it. I think I've seen it. It's been a long time, but yeah. It was the thing, my similar, I think Zach can talk sometimes about Dwayne Johnson. The great thing about him is that he doesn't take himself seriously. He knows that he has a certain type of fun movie that he works really well in. Mm-hmm. And he just, he just goes all in. Like, he's very earnest about it. I, like, I, when he's into something, you're like, he's having a blast. <laughs> or at least you, you, you feel, feel like, like he is. is. Yeah. yeah. I imagine his background helps in, in a way. You know, I'll never be into the scene myself, but I, I've kind of 
the internet has taught me a little bit from people who are into like nerdy things who are also into pro wrestling. Yeah. A little bit a little bit inside of why they enjoy it, about how pro wrestling itself has kind of this narrative, a story arc to it and stuff. So is that cheese for you? It's not well, I guess I would consider it cheesy, yeah. yes. I am I still have no actual interest in watching yeah. it myself. But because I think I used to think pro wrestling was just like something rednecks got into until I found out like certain nerdy cultures really get into it. And I was like, oh, but why? What is what? What is it exactly? Yeah. And, and it's like, oh, well, these there's these character archetypes and they have their own arcs and yeah. and things like that. And obviously it's cheesy. It's WWE. But apparently, yeah, there's a certain kind of charm to it for some people. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, what can I say? I've already talked about the shonen anime I watch. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not too different in some ways. I mean, I've got my limits. I'm not a Dragon Ball fan, but <laughs> you just made fun of all our Dragon Ball fans. I, mean, I didn't make fun of them. I just said I'm not one of them. Oh, okay. I mean, I've talked about I've talked about Kingdom Hearts enough. I can <laughs> I can get away with up. Yeah. yeah, I can. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, with that in mind, go enjoy some cheesy. Oh, no, go go read a cheesy comic book out loud to your kids. Oh, I, I'll do that. That'll be a, that a, a good a good mix of the two previously yes, on topics exactly. here. <laughs> All right. Well, Nick, I think it's time for us to start wrapping things up here. Well, so far it's been not too bad here. Yeah, I mean, I, I see I, a carriage coming. Yeah, that seems really loud, and um, I hear some really high-pitched shrieks coming from inside. Mm, that is not good. No, that's that's probably not a good thing at all. So I, I, I vote we maybe see if we can find someplace underground. It might be a lot safer. Yeah, there won't be anything bad underground. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, before Nick gives you his soundtrack info, folks, I will let you know that you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Leave us reviews, if you would. Um, on all helpful. those places, yes. or whichever one you use the most. Yes. Or just on a sticky note in your office complex. That would work, too. As long as your coworkers see it and know that they should go check it out. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, though. Spread the word. Word of mouth is a, is a great advertiser. And we, uh, we want to spread the love of storytelling and thinking way too deeply about storytelling to everyone. And then join us for our uh, weekly hijack where we're going through the end of Balon 5. That's true. As we're Season recording, we're in, we're in the midst of Crusade. But yes, as the, in terms of a release schedule, yes, we're getting near the end of season five and you can watch it on go i mean amazon prime go 90 no seriously guys if you've not watched Battle five and you've heard us talk about it go watch it yes even tko (laughs) all available for you on amazon prime um all right anyways for my soundtrack i thought since we're talking about range i remember that overclocked remix had a album one time from super dodgeball and they had songs from all the different countries that were a dodge. I'm like, oh, that's a good range. And they were all supposed to be done in their different styles. Cool. But I picked the England one, so it's not as like out there. But it goes through lots of kind of different phases. And I thought that was kind of nice too. It's called Birmingham Beatdown, arranged by Hoha. I know, I've never heard of Hoha. Okay. Yeah. But I think it's pretty fun. I hope you enjoy it. And we need to get moving. Yes, I, I agree. We need to move quickly. Um, thanks for listening to Derailed Trains of Thoughts. Until next time, this is Tim. Isn't it? Bye bye. <laughs>